welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and you can always find us on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Give us your comments, questions, concerns, whatever you want to say. We're interested in your feedback. Also, if you get a chance, please feel free to uh, subscribe to this podcast or follow wherever you're listening to this, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the plethora of other opportunities you have to hear us on different platforms, wherever that is, please, you know, like, subscribe, follow, whatever the thing is there, do that thing, because it really, you know, subscribing to podcasts and, and leaving reviews and ratings and stuff really helps content creators like us, and so we really sincerely appreciate it. All that said, this week is another kind of slow week, so we went ahead and, uh, you know, by slow week, I mean a slow week in kind of the world of film, so uh, what we decided to do again is choose, we've been taking turns choosing some of our favorite movies um, to talk about, and this week was Joe's pick, and his pick for today was... Da, 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 Labyrinth from 1986, the Jim Henson movie, and so we decided to talk about that, and and we're going to get to that in just a moment, Um, and I don't have a solo review for you guys uh, this week, but what I did do is I tacked on to the end of Joe and I's conversation, I transitioned into actually my daughter and I talking about it. Uh, She's nine years old, she's been on here before for the bonus content for the Shrek movies, we talked about that along with my wife. Uh, but uh, my daughter came on because I actually watched Labyrinth for the first time in probably 15 years, and she'd never seen it, so we watched it together, and uh, I just decided, hey, you know, she was telling me stuff after we watched it that she really liked, and I was like, hey, why don't you do this for the podcast? I don't have any other segments prepared, and I didn't have any, you know, new movies to talk about uh, for this week, so hey, let's do it, and that's what we did. So as I said, uh, we're going to start with Joe and I talking. And then afterwards, there's a little, you know, 12 minutes, I think, something like that. It's not too long. But my daughter and I talk about Labyrinth as well, and we kind of get her feedback. And if if nothing else, it's cute as heck. That's really what's up. So anyways, uh, I hope you guys appreciate and, and enjoy this. Uh, Joe feels really strongly about this movie, and I will let you know how I feel once we get into it. So without further ado, he, he, what? Anyways... Here we go with our conversation on Labyrinth. All right, Joe, we are here with another one of your picks for your favorite films. Uh, You know, we've been doing this kind of on our off weeks because, as we all know, around this time, it's still pretty slow for new movies. That doesn't kick in until about May, June. You know, once we start getting into summer until the end of the year, we'll probably have a lot more new features to really kind of dig into. But right now, it's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff I'm either dealing with just with solo reviews or what. And this has been really fun. We've just been able to talk about fun movies we want to talk about. And um, and really, the, the only organizational pattern to it all is that we just like them and we're choosing them. And I kind of like that for now. This I- is good. So um, yeah. today, Joe's pick is Labyrinth from 1986. It is directed by uh-huh. Jim Henson, and it stars David Bowie, a very young Jennifer Connelly, and a tribe of puppeteers, okay? The <laughs> yes. Henson puppeteers. Uh, it was released, as I said, June 27, 1986. 
Now check this out. This is important. For everybody listening, if you wonder why I always give that information and then I give you budget and box office information, this is like something I was always fascinated about whenever I was learning about film is learning that, you know, Citizen Kane wasn't the blockbuster, you know, box office smash that we might think because of how popular and regard, highly regarded it is now. It actually did mm-hmm. like fine. You know, <laughs> it didn't really pick up yeah. steam to like the fifties, you know? So right. uh, I love doing this because this is a great example of one of those movies that has a huge cult following and is like a household name. Um, but it had a budget of $25 million and had a box office of $12.5 million, a massive commercial failure. I was surprised yeah. by this. I actually did not know this prior to yeah, going into this. Yeah. So, I mean, just one of those kind of mind-blowing moments where you're like, man, I thought this was a smash hit. And unfortunately, yeah. it was not. But it was Jim Henson's last feature film, unfortunately. Uh, what a way to go out. Jim Henson's Labyrinth follows, excuse me, 16-year-old Sarah, who was given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby stepbrother Toby after her wish for him to be taken away was granted by the Goblin King Jareth. Um, Labyrinth starts on Earth, something I forgot since the last time I saw it, which is probably 15 years ago, but quickly we are transported into a fantasy world fit for a whimsical Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Henson's Muppets create life in the world from small talkative from a small talkative worm to a giant ironclad robo knight. Our protagonist is Sarah as she navigates this strange land, but we're also introduced to the cowardly but loyal Hoggle, the big lovable oaf Ludo, the too brave for his own good Sir Didymus, and his loyal canine steed Ambrosius. This makeshift adventure party explore every nook and cranny of the labyrinth before finding the castle at its center and confronting the Goblin King. Um, Everything else in between, Joe, uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty good lead in because everything else in between is really just really awesome looking things um, and musical sequences. (laughs) You know, like it's like it's not so much narrative related as it is like just like cool stuff. You know, it's a very it's a very Muppets um, but it's funny cause I feel like some people might think of this as like a kid's thing and kids can, yeah. I watched this with my daughter actually, um, mm-hmm. today. So, yeah. uh, I can see that, but man, it, it's like, I feel like this is applicable to adults as well. Anyways, my question to you, Joe, to get us started here, uh, as I've asked many times before, what is it about labyrinth that makes it fit into your pantheon of favorites, Joe? Why'd you pick this yeah. one? Yeah, so so let me let me give a few reasons for this. Um, so this is another one of those movies from my childhood, and uh, you know, and I'm gonna uh, you know I'm gonna start by giving a slight disclaimer. Um, there are a lot of the women in my life who really love this movie. Um, I saw this as a kid um, because my sister picked it out. My my younger sister picked it out. That was the reason I first saw it. Um, I, when I first saw it, I kind of found it annoying in the way that, you know, the stuff that your kid sister picks out, it's kind of, you know, you're kind of irritated by it. But um, when, when I became a dad, my daughter, I showed it to my daughter and she immediately loved it. And I immediately loved it with her. Um, and now more recently, the, the woman I'm dating, this is one of her favorites. And so she talks about it and quotes it all the time. 
which I thought was really fun because I got some of them, you know, and I was like, this is really cool. You know, it's like, I hadn't thought about that movie for a few years now, you know, when, when I showed it to my daughter and she loved it and watches it a lot. As a matter of fact, I told her we were doing my daughter, we were doing this this week um, just a little while ago. And, and she said, where did you watch it? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? I was like, she's like, did you just watch it on? Cause she, you know, she's, she's angling for me to, to tell her, like, you know, show her where she can go watch it now. Yeah. yeah. She hasn't seen it now for probably a year or two. Um, but this movie is, you know, it's, it's simple, relatively simple. It's, you know, you could compare it to something like, of course, the wizard of Oz. Um, it, it's got a lot of, you know, um, kind of homages to that. I mean, I would call it probably an homage to that, you know, that kind of film, uh, you know, the, the young, you know, kind of preteen slash teenage protagonist, um, who goes to a magical land. Um, th this is, um, you know, if, if you're going to go with that Wizard of Oz premise, uh, maybe an Alice in Wonderland kind of premise, you know, as well. Um, you know, she has a little bit more of a contentious relationship with the wizard, so to speak. Um, in this case, David Bowie's Jareth. And um, and then the, the Jim Henson angle just kind of raised it to a new level for me. Um, you know, of course, I'm not necessarily putting this movie on, on the level with the Wizard of Oz. Um, it, you know, it's kind of one of the, great pieces of cinema of all time but um it certainly has its merits it the 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 puppetry is spectacular at times so good it's it is wildly imaginative there are some great just hilarious sequences um that you know are not you know there's not the, the humor is very jim henson you know it's not it's not overly adult oriented as you know you you mentioned you know it being kind of a kids film maybe um, or something certainly that's just appropriate for kids. Um, and, and there's just, there's a lot of really kind of cool, almost, I don't know if I want to say subversive, but, but it, it kind of, you know, leans in that, in that realm, you know, where it's slightly scary for someone who's younger, you know, that, and they're, they're just kind of like goofy things. There's, there's almost a kind of sort of hint at an attraction between, Jareth and Sarah. Um, and, and if you're doing the math on that, I actually did. Um, David Bowie, I believe at the time that this film came out was, I think, 39 years old, if I did my math right, to Jennifer Connelly's legit 16, as her character is. And especially toward the end, there are sequences that certainly by today's standards, maybe trend a little creepy yeah and tying tying into our episode two weeks ago about uh, separating <laughs> yes. the art from the artist it does get a little bit weirder knowing a little bit of david bowie's past um yes. we don't need to talk about that right now i'm i'm open to yes. if you want to later but just yeah, to bring that up that's um like you know that's an interesting thing kind of going back to uh yeah. an episode two uh two two episodes ago so go ahead yeah. And, and yeah, so, so there's that. There's also a couple of really terrific, memorable songs. Um, and yeah, um, just a lot of, you know, just a lot of things that when you watch it, if you, if you hook onto it, there's a lot of kind of imminently quotable things. I love the character of Hoggle, especially. Um, uh, Ludo is, is kind of the, you know, the, the big lunky, uh, as you said, kind of big lunky lovable character where he looks like a monster, but he's really cuddly. So there, My there's just a lot kind of to, to digest and what's what's otherwise a pretty simple story yeah uh, my, my daughter my daughter saw ludo and she goes uh she goes he looks like one of those big characters that would only say his own name 
Like he's just like Grudo. <laughs> you know, like he just yeah. walked like Groot, you know, and I was like, You mean like yeah. Groot? And she's like, Yeah, definitely. Like he's like a Groot character. <laughs> and I was like, No, that's kind of spot on. It's like this lovable big giant you know what i mean it's like that classic thing um and i found that to be pretty uh i just didn't think of it that way i was like no that's spot on because ludo funny enough was like watching at this time was one of my favorite characters because he's just that exact thing like he's just such a lovable just Mm -hmm. cool looking the complexity same same with hoggle i mean he he has a very complex uh -hmm. amount of stuff going on right um yeah with the you know, I didn't get this far in research, but I'm assuming there's either animatronics of some sort or something in his face. Yeah. As well as, you know, uh, someone can actually like moving <laughs> like in yeah, a, in a yeah, costume. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- I, I do know there were multiple puppeteers involved. Yes. Involved in just his character. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. But but like uh, Ludo still kind of stumps me a little bit because there are two people uh what do you say? Like cast to be Ludo. Like if you look at the cast, there are two people. Uh-huh. And so I don't know if it takes two people to run that giant or yeah. if it's cause like big birds, one right. person, you know? So I was like, man, maybe they do it that way. But Ludo's like twice this like width of big bird, <laughs> you know, like he's just huge. So like yeah. the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, man, is this like, is this, are there two people in there? I didn't get because as I told you, we decided we were going to record this today, mm-hmm. yesterday. So I right. I got a chance to see the film this morning. <laughs> like yeah. we're recording in the afternoon, uh, so yeah, I didn't get a chance to do quite as much research as I'd hoped, and it was mostly in that stuff because also at the same time, I am completely open to just being in wonder of, yeah. <laughs> of like these these special <laughs> effects for now. You know, yeah. I do know some things about others. We'll get to them. Um, yeah. If you want to, if you have more to say about that, please do. But I do want to comment. You've brought up like three things I want to tackle. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Okay. Uh, well, I, I want to start with the Wizard of Oz thing real quick because I actually uh-huh. don't have that in my notes, but it is something I was going to bring up while sure. we were watching it. My daughter actually did say, "Like this, this is like the Wizard of Oz." Like she said, she's nine. Like she yeah. knew this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, man. I and again, another thing I never thought about. I just didn't think of comparing those two until my nine-year-old says it. I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually surprisingly similar in terms of not theme so much, but in terms of of uh, just like genre, maybe, or however you want to say it. Like, they do things very similarly. There's just an update to how those things are done. Uh, for yeah. example, like the puppeteers, like people in costumes and, you know, uh, all the technologies involved. Yeah. And I was surprised. Because you watch Wizard of Oz now, and I think with the exception of maybe some people being able to look at the kind of golden age acting and maybe that being a little weird, but they don't care because like the songs are so great and like the story's so great. Um, And like if you if you watch it in HD, you know, (laughs) like you can see all the plants like in in uh, the Munchkinville or whatever it's called. What is it called? Uh Is it Munchkin land? Munchkin land. Land. Um, but like all of the plants there are like clearly just plastic, like, right. <laughs> like they yeah. state like reflect the light, you know, um, <laughs> like it's stuff like that. But it's also, I mean, that movie is like 90 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or something like that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, on, on that level, it's just like, man, this is super impressive. 80 years old or something. But the the point is yeah. this, I don't know how, how old is it now? It's 2021. It came out in 39. I'll say, I'll say 39. Yeah. So. I mean, about, I would say, I think 80 is about right. Yeah, yeah. a little over 80 years old. 
And so um, the point is, like, there's a lot of grace that can be shown to that film because it's like, damn, it still looks that good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can look at it oh, and yeah. go, dang, that's so good. And then I look at something like Labyrinth, which came out within my lifetime, so 35 years ago this year, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, when I used to watch it, the first time I saw it, the only maybe once or twice I've seen it before, and they were both around the same time, about 15 years ago. And I saw them oh. on DVD. And the scene with the fireys dancing, yeah. um, oh. which is an impressive animation sequence, but it looked terrible. On DVD, yeah. I could see the greens. Well, it's on a black stage, but for some reason, there was still like spliced, like green yeah. screen lines or something around them. I don't exactly yeah. know what happened, but it looked bad. I, I rented it not knowing. And for our listeners, if you want to watch Labyrinth, it is on HBO Max. I didn't know that till I'd already rented it from Prime. So oh. <laughs> like uh, I told my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I rented it from Prime, and uh, I'm I'm watching the movie, and we get to that scene, and I'm like, man, that scene has to look terrible. I'm not looking forward to it. My daughter's probably going to laugh at it. It looked, like, really yeah. damn good. For, I mean, uh, you could still tell it was over a screen sure. or whatever, but it's yeah. like, the, the, the thing is, like, man, it looked really good, like, surprisingly good. And it made me wonder, you know, was the film remastered? It's, again, another thing that I didn't get a chance to research before we hopped in here. But it looked like that whole scene was redone or something. Um, so uh, uh -huh. my point in bringing all this up, sorry, is, uh, you know, I, I, my daughter brought up The Wizard of Oz, and I thought it was uh, a pretty apt comparison. Um, you definitely have the, like you said, the the young woman. If you look at, uh, like we had Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, and you have uh, Sarah here. In her room, if you're in in her bedroom at the beginning of Labyrinth, uh, Sarah has all of these stuffed animals, which she's like 16 yeah. and she still has like, they talk about toys all the time. Do 16 yeah, year olds yeah. like play with toys in the way that we think? Like, are there 16 year olds playing with Barbies? I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not that person. Yeah. So like, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, I mean, stuffed animals, I kind of understand a bit more. Cause that's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're, they're yeah, they don't look like little, go ahead. Oh, well, I was gonna say there's definitely a disconnect there, um, and and you know I want to say this, uh, but as I'm continuing, um, I I want to I want to give a shout out to to my lady friend, my girlfriend, I, I don't know what to call her yet, Alicia, who um you know I've been I've mentioned her before on this podcast, but we watched it together last night, and this like I said this is kind of her the inspiration came from her, um, and we talked about that a little bit, um, that she was a, as as we meet Sarah, she's essentially like larping on her own like yeah. just out by herself in the field. Right. She's, she has, you know, and, and as you said, all the stuffed animals she has, she gets th her, the whole character arc is hinges on her getting angry because her, her baby brother, baby stepbrother um, has apparently gotten a hold of one of them and taken them as, although as Alicia mentioned to me last night, he grabbed it from the top shelf <laughs> apparently as a baby he grabbed he grabbed this uh, uh he grabbed this stuffed animal which is apparently her favorite so this is what sparks her anger is that he's constantly taking her stuff and yeah she she has toys and and there's actually um a, a pan as the you know into her room there's a whole the camera pans across and and it actually if you if you're looking carefully enough it unlocks a lot of kind of the secrets of the movie you're about to watch 
there's a lot of little trinkets and and some of the characters are um, represented there. So, uh, you know, maybe we get into that in a, in a bit. But um, well, that's actually yeah. all I was going to say is I was going to say there's like there's much like in The Wizard of Oz where you see like the the uncle and the then like you see these characters that are later the scarecrow and you know what I mean? Like the same actors are playing both. And at the end, yeah. of course the famous Dorothy, like, and you were there and you were there, you know, like that thing, <laughs> like we, we get that kind of here just more subtly, you know, like, yeah. um, yeah. and I really appreciate that. I picked up on that and I appreciate it. You know, of course, afterwards I researched to see if I'd caught everything and I didn't like, there were more yeah. things that I still didn't catch. And I love little Easter eggy things like that, you know, an, an attention to detail, and and putting forth enough effort to kind of foreshadow something without it being so on the nose. Like if you catch it, you get it, and if you don't, it doesn't ruin the movie for you. But it's just like a cool little uh, detail that uh, I feel like a, a lot of people don't think about. But yeah, it's, it's did, like a clearly. rewatchable. Bit. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt again. No, you're it's, fine. Yeah, it's kind of a rewatchable bit. Yeah, I, and yeah, and it was really cool. And there's and there's actually a picture of Sarah's mother with David Bowie or someone who looks suspiciously like David Bowie. Um, which is which is really if you if you are eagle-eyed enough to see that is is really kind of a cool thing, um, and, and maybe is a hint kind of at a I don't know a deeper meaning or a you know something else that um, that maybe kind of lingers below the surface of the story. So it, yeah, all those little details, yeah, like you said, are very cool. They're nice little rewatchable bits that you know when when you watch, you're like, oh yeah, didn't see that. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah. another thing I wanted to tackle that you mentioned were just how impressively controlled and choreographed the Muppets were in this. I mean, uh, I mean, this is to be expected with Henson, you know, but I mean, yeah. you know, even just let me find it. I have. Oh, yeah, right here uh, in, in the dance magic scene, which is one of the more popular uh, yeah. music scenes or whatever in the movie in the dance mu- magic scene, uh, it consisted of 48 Muppets. 52 puppeteers and eight people in goblin costumes, which is, yes. that's a ton of work. Yeah. I, I, I feel like people might also just look at that and go, okay, so they're like 45 Muppets and they're like people controlling them. Dude, you have to do all of this together in that space. How do you fit? Yeah. How do you fit? What is that? A uh, hundred things or 108 right. things in one space and it mm-hmm. function like that's not yeah. like the hugest space. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. It's like that. Small space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the way that they would have to build it out and still give room to hide all of the puppeteers and all of that, yeah. I, it, it really. I mean, whenever when you're kind of a sucker for practical effects like I am, and you've done a lot of research and you have a pretty decent working understanding, working knowledge, mm-hmm. so to speak, of how all yeah. of that works. I mean, that's just really impressive to me. I, I was sincerely impressed. And and again, like you said, I mean, can anyone bring? puppets to life like a henson production you know what i mean certainly not these days that i could have aware so good so good uh i mean you really kind of fall in love with these characters even something as simple as uh the the puppets that are like they're they're um covering these two doors they have a shield and there's like Mm -hmm. a head upside down and a head on top like above the shield Yeah. And uh, they do like this riddle, basically that she fails at, but she has to yeah. that she has to do, and she has to outsmart uh-huh. them or whatever. And I loved them just because there's a lot of detail in how they move and how they like hunker under the shadow or under the shield, and they talk to the one below. And um, if you've seen it, you know. If you don't, you'll watch it, and then you will you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. I loved that. 
I mean, that was one of the yeah. first things, and I, I looked over at my daughter, and the reason I brought up Dungeons & Dragons uh, in, in the intro was I told my daughter, I was like, that's like a D&D puzzle. Like, that would be a per like, I'm going to use that, <laughs> like, like that one puzzle. But not, uh-huh. not just the writing of that, but it's more of like the puppeteering and stuff was just really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah, th- those are really cool. Yeah, and if you haven't seen the movie, think, um, think if, if two playing cards had come to life. You know, like like the the face card, right? The kings or the jacks. You know? Yeah, that's definitely where, what it's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, they're mimicking that. Where there's the shield, and then the heads poke out. One's upside down at the bottom, and then the other's right side up at the top. And then, as you said, they talk to each other, and yeah, and yeah. And, and pose this riddle. But there's so many, just so many things like that. And I guess maybe we should give like the like the you know a um maybe like the thirty thousand foot overview of, of the plot, which we haven't quite you know we've t- we've touched on, but. Uh, essentially, Sarah is angry with her little stepbrother, and she, as we said, is is kind of obsessed with with the fantasy realm and the fantasy world. And she wishes that her brother was taken by the goblins, the Goblin King specifically. And um, of course, the real Goblin King is listening, and he grants her wish and takes the baby. Of course, she immediately regrets it, and he says to her, "If you want him back, you have to solve my labyrinth. You have to get." you know, to the castle with it, as you said, the, the 13 hours. So, so she, so Sarah essentially has kind of created this problem herself um, by, you know, through her impetuousness and her immaturity and, and her, um, her anger, you know, she, by, by not, you know, not controlling her anger, not understanding her, her baby brother, her baby stepbrother. I, I, can't, I think he's, I don't know. He's, I want to say he's her step, her half brother. Her, he's so that's her dad and her new stepmom has had this baby. That's it, true. No, you're right. No, you're right. I, yeah, I, I yeah. actually did use the wrong term. It, it would be half brother yeah. then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, you know, as as a as a child of divorce, this is something that you know I spend a lot of time thinking about. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, blending families and things. No, that's that's so, fair. Uh, yeah. So uh, unless but, unless the stepmom already had the baby. Unless the stepmom, in which are, case yeah. I am right. <laughs> there you kidding. go. And, and that's left, you know, sort of ambiguous. So, but anyway, um, uh, but you know, I, of course, David Bowie as the star. We, you know, we we should talk about him and just how ridiculous he is in this movie. I mean, dude, let, let me say <laughs> something about Bowie real quick, dude. Uh-huh. How that guy? I can't imagine the patience. Uh-huh that everyone on set had to have with this movie because of any kind of malfunctions with, with uh, puppets or, or inaccurate choreographies. Uh, Mm -hmm. The kid apparently screamed all the time. So it's like getting the right scene, you know, and being able to hit it. Um, And just, um, dude, I I can't imagine. So, so, you know, whenever he's, he's juggling the crystals in his hand, he's kind of like maneuvering them. So for for fun fun fact, okay, uh, Michael Mon, uh, Michael Machen is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's hiding behind David Bowie, and he slides his yeah. arm through David Bowie's suit. Like, or I don't think it's through it, but he has the same kind of arm suit yeah. on or whatever. And so it looks like the way it's shot, David Bowie's like revolving these crystals. Now, when I saw it 15 years ago, I remembered it being fake like cg or some or like some sort of special effect because sometimes the crystal is a special effect but watching it now i'm like oh shit that's real like that's a real thing so i did a little research on that and michael machin was um essentially a a choreographer and juggler 
And so he actually did it, but he did it all blind. Yeah. Because yeah. he had he had to be behind uh, David Bowie the whole time. So you can, yeah. if you watch behind the scenes stuff, which my daughter and I watched about half the documentary, excuse me, uh, half the documentary from the behind the scenes stuff or whatever. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. You can find it on YouTube. It's really interesting, but we watched about half of it. And um, yeah, he's he's doing it. And I guess they had to do like Kubrick level takes on this yes. stuff. You know what I mean? Because because right. uh, like, he, you know, David Bowie would drop a line and then the guy would try to roll the ball down his arm into his hand, but he'd drop it like every time. And Bowie's like laughing. And of course, yeah. in like a talking head moment, they cut to and he's like, yeah, Michael was great. You know, he was really cool. But in my head, I'm like, dude, you have to get frustrated. You're saying the same fucking six words or something <laughs> over right. and over. And this dude keeps dropping them. There's right. another scene where he's holding the baby, Toby, and the baby, I guess, was crying. They, it wouldn't shut up. That yeah. may sound insensitive, but if you were in that situation, I'm sure you'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, because they always say, like, don't work with animals, don't work with kids. Like, you know, don't work with whatever because, like, you, it's really hard. It takes a lot of time. But apparently, like, one of the puppeteers brought out a puppet and just, like, distracted this baby. You know what I right. mean? Um, and luckily got them, uh, got Toby to stop crying. But, I, I, dude, I got to give props to this dude for making it through. Because at this time, Bowie's huge. He's a star, man. Yeah. And he'd already been in movies before. He's a professional. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. And then he's on this thing, and he's dealing with all this stupid shit. Again, right. it comes with the job. I get it. But, I mean, what a trooper this guy had to be. And all I've read and heard about, he was really great on stage. and uh, But also just ridiculous you know you were talking about that dude i remember in between today when i watched it and the last time i saw it over a decade ago every time someone would bring up labyrinth they talk about david bowie's wiener because <laughs> <laughs> yes, he just has this perpetual bulge the <laughs> right. entire which is not like super i could see how a lot of people could watch it and not notice it but when you've been told that for like the last 15 years, it was like the first thing I noticed when Bowie oh, comes yeah. on, which uh -huh. automatically makes it feel like inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm sure uh -huh. so many people don't even care to look at David Bowie's bulge. You know what right. I mean? But I just, I couldn't, I mean, that's ridiculous. His hair is like both, you know, two parts awesome, two parts like just ridiculous and silly. Yeah, it's, it's like a Tina Turner thing. It's like he's yeah. wearing a Tina Turner Dude, yeah. well, that was the joke. You know, like I remember yeah. people joking about uh, the Tina Turner thing. Yeah, it's like he's in some arena rock band. Yeah. All of his dialogue, like the way he, dude, the singing, I felt like he was on, and this is this has nothing to do with the Muppets. But you know how yeah. like some people who might be edgier, I mean, like like Ricky Gervais, if I if I remember correctly, and and you don't have to harass me if I'm wrong here. Um, if it's not him, it was someone else of equal caliber. But I think yeah. Ricky Gervais one time was on Sesame Street. Now, that's like hilarious to think of, first off. Yes. But yeah. like, you know how like someone like that who's really edgy, they'll still kind of keep their personality, but they'll just kind of like taper it and they'll kind of like curve it a little bit so it fits yeah. in whatever scenario they're in. But Absolutely. they're also still kind of possessing their personality. That's like mm -hmm. Bowie in this to me. Like, yes. I just felt like the whole time he was like very much on a leash you know what i mean like yes. like it's not quite him so when he's singing i felt like he was like singing some anthem or something like he's just like smiling and like 
being really weird. I don't know, dude. Like, what did you think of whenever you said that you thought he was ridiculous? Like, when you yeah. think of that, what's coming to your mind? Yeah, it, it's it's um yeah, I, I, that's a that's a fun analogy. Of course, I didn't think of you know I I didn't approach it that way, but but that that's 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 pretty accurate. Yeah, he's he's really laid back. It, it's almost like he's um, performing on a TV special or something. That that's almost kind of the vibe of it. Like he's he's totally. not he's he's certainly not like singing out full. This is not like a a big like you know awards bait kind of musical this is you know this is a, a low-key like fantasy kind of film you know that he's so he's he's not full singing out and the songs are are you know maybe simplistic there i don't know the one toward the end is um um maybe it's a little more involved but still it's not the numbers themselves aren't reliant on his singing skill so much you know his his performance so much because of what's going on around him you know there's yeah there's all the, the choreography is mostly as you said with the muppets and, and what they're doing in the scenes so real quick there, though some- it is also hysterical if you have not seen it this is both for listeners yeah. and joe david yeah. bowie singing the title track to labyrinth um <laughs> with like a whole group of people it's like we are the world or something like but except for he's like so over the top jovial about singing yeah. in this recording yeah. studio it's it's worth watching. I think it's very hysterical. Continue. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, no, that, no, and that, no, and I haven't seen that, so that'd be that'd be hilarious to watch. But, but, um, yeah, but he's he seems like he's having a lot of fun. Um, maybe not in the in the performance, not necessarily trying too hard, um, but you know, having a good time, and you know, and it doesn't, you know, I don't. The film doesn't suffer because of it by any means. You know, he's. Um, he's very over the top, like you said, when he speaks and he uses kind of the, you know, that, that stilted fantasy language, you oh, know, yeah. um, and, and, you know, he doesn't use contractions, I think, you know, for the most part, I, I didn't, you know, test that, but you know, sure. that, that's kind of that, that's kind of that generic, that's that generic kind of trope in, in fantasy films is people don't, you know, they, they don't use contractions to, to seem, you know, smarter or more refined or something. And, and that's what his character is. Um, it is kind of has that he's kind of suave and refined, and um, with the bizarreness on top of it. But um, but yeah, he he kind and he kind of does his own things. I don't even know, you know, thinking outside if if he and Jennifer Connelly actually how many scenes they actually have together throughout the movie. Um, he kind of just pops in every now and again. You know, he's of course the beginning. Uh, when they first meet and then she's going through the labyrinth and then it cuts to him doing something different in his castle and he's got the baby and then he pops in for a quick you know several seconds and then pops away yeah. again for a couple he so. pops in before the little the tunnel machine murder trap yeah. comes through yeah, the, he the pops cleaner. in yeah yep he, he pops in during the escher painting sequence essentially yeah. mm-hmm. um and he pops in to talk to hoggle but but jennifer connelly's not in that scene yeah. So yeah, I think it's like two, and then the beginning, which you mentioned, and then like the ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. four, maybe four or five scenes. You're right. I yeah. actually didn't think about them not being in there that much. But uh, and what sucks is they clearly didn't film those all the same day. This wasn't a one day shoot for David Bowie. Right. So sure. like, I'm I'm really <laughs> curious how long his shoot was for this as yeah. well. Yeah. Like, was it worth it? Anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but there's you know there's I don't know there's this is just that one of those movies where 
there are certain movies where every scene has something memorable in it. And, and I feel like this is one of those movies that there's something you remember in virtually every scene. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the little worm who has, you know, there, there's this little worm at one point she encounters. That, I love that worm. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got this cute little voice and he's like, won't you come inside for a cup of tea with the missus and I, you know, and she's and you know, and it's clearly like a worm sized hole that he lives in. And, and she's like, um, like number one, I'm busy. Number two, like, you know, this is not practically working. I'm not yeah. going to get inside <laughs> of your house. <laughs> But, uh, you know, there, there's that kind of stuff. There's, you know, you know, you mentioned the, the playing card, you know, things that we talked about, the, the shield, the things behind the shield. There's the door knockers, the door knockers, for God's sake, we haven't even talked yeah, about they're, yet. Yeah, they're funny. I mean, th- yeah. think about this before we get into that, though. You know, uh, there, there are two other mm-hmm. meat, like uh, bits of media or texts or whatever I would consider uh, this is similar to. We only talked about Wizard of Oz, but since you're about, since you're kind of, T- no. talking about some of these scenes i mean no. you can't watch this and not also think of like alice in wonderland sure uh-huh. uh which alice in wonderland is the same thing every time she gets mm-hmm. to a certain spot there's like this big memorable moment um yeah. but also what was the other one i was just about to say <laughs> um it had come back to me but the point is there, yeah. there are there are like you know you can see these as uh um there are like multiple things this draws back to. I'm drawing a blank instantly for some reason. <laughs> I'm going to keep thinking. Yeah, there's certainly I'll, other I'll come films back to like it. this. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's what's so funny is that, um, yeah, I I remembered Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Alicia mentioned Alan, Alice in Wonderland to me last night, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And then the Wizard of Oz was the one that just sprang to mind for me. Um, but there, there's just a handful of these kinds of movies, right? Yeah. Like kind of kind of female centric, you know, young teen girl centric fantasy films like this yeah uh princess bride is what i was gonna say Princess um, Bride, okay and so if you think of the princess bride though it doesn't have a female protagonist or anything uh, yeah. it does kind of follow a similar structure in the way you were talking there is a conflict of course uh like a major conflict that also changes as time goes on there are like a variety of conflicts happening uh but also every scene has like that moment you're talking about yeah. right so it, in at the very least in the most simplest terms this would be the comparison I would make. Um, because he has to deal with Inigo Montoya, right? He has to deal with Andre the Giant, and he has mm-hmm. to deal with Wallace Shawn's character, the inconceivable guy, right? So, like, those are directly scenes that that uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts and the Princess Bride has to uh, address. And then, um, you know, and the Iocane Powder, of course, you know, with, with uh, Wallace Shawn's character. And then, you know, he's, he's moving forward. He meets... Um, why can't I think of uh, the Billy Crystal? He meets Billy yes. Crystal's character and uh, oh. Carol Kane. Uh, I mean, just like, and then, you know, then you have Humperdinck, you have the man with six fingers. Like, there's so many, you could easily make a collage of The Princess Bride, and you can picture what would be in that collage, because there are so many, like, distinct features, right? Same thing with this movie, with Labyrinth, and I'm, I guarantee there are a million collages, not just counting, like, the uh like probably several posters but you can picture after you watch this all the little like details that would be in a collage of labyrinth do you know what i mean yeah oh absolutely just to make your point i I agree yeah yeah and and there's yeah and it's and it's all over and it's almost like everyone it's like someone could watch this 10 different people could watch it and they could each have a different favorite you know um i love hoggle number one as a character 
Um, and you know, obviously, he's one of the main characters. Yeah. So I, I mean, almost maybe we almost um, you know want to talk about him completely separately. But there's the things like the Helping Hands. The Helping Hands is so so creative. Yeah, and they're they, you know she uh, Sarah falls down a hole, and these hands are grabbing at her, and and it's kind of scary, right? Like like you think about you're in a hole and there's hundreds of hands groping at you at the same time, but they're helping. And they're really not, you know, that that's the thing is like they're they're really kind and they're helping. Yeah, they and, catch her from uh, falling. So she thinks yeah, they're just yeah. grabbing at her, but they actually stop her from falling. Yeah. And then just to add to your point here, the hands, uh, I mean, and there are like hundreds of hands. I mean, yeah. like so many hands. Yeah. But like you'll have like eight to ten hands form a face yes. with their <laughs> freaking hands. The choreography yeah. that would come into this, I can't even imagine. But they yeah. make believable puppets out of their hands. Yeah. And there yeah. are multiple different like hand puppets, quote unquote, yeah. like whatever you want right. to call them. Like it's not just they make one face. It'd be like yeah. on a different wall. She like looks over and it's a completely different formed face yeah. out of people's hands. Yeah, and they're talking with and to each other kind of at the same time. Crazy. Yeah, at the same time they're talking. This to is yeah, one of the most impressive things in the movie, regardless of yeah. whether it's one's favorite thing, I would right. ma- I would maybe say this is the most impressive thing I watched in yeah. the entire yeah. 147 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And and supposedly too, that scene was um strangely like difficult and dangerous even to sh- to to shoot. And I guess there was like the harness Jennifer Connolly was in, like could have really severely injured her if she'd done something wrong and and, you know, and, and all the, you know, like you said, all those hands that are in there at a given time, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just weird to kind of think of like, how, how do they, how do they conceive of that and then pull that off in, you know, in, in a believable way? How can to, you, you know, fit that many people so closely together to put arms in there? Yeah. Could you imagine the outside of that, you know, of that little thing where there's just people with their arms just stuck, you know, there had I mean, to be a hundred you know, people or whatever, couple feet. Right. Yeah. So got to be standing like right on top of each other, smashing each other into the, the walls. And, and then if both of their arms are in there, so cutting down the amount of people, you'd use both arms. But then where do their heads go? Because their arms reach all the way in. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know how it was done. Uh, again, yeah. watching this, for as critical as I can be of things like that, and for as like aged as some of the things in this movie look, which I'm fine with, yeah, uh, but um, you can definitely feel its age, especially in the soundtrack, which we can talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. but but like you know, you can find age in it, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. damn, the hands thing is, in my opinion, ageless. I mean, this is a timeless thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's brilliant. I'm with you, man. Yeah, and and it looks, it even looks great now. It's not yeah, There's no, they're not, they're not seams in that one. You know, like, like you said, the 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 fireys, the there's seams there yeah. that you can definitely tell. Some of them, you know, some things you can definitely tell. And by the way, um, another piece of trivia is that this film uses the very first instance of lifelike CGI. Yep, I have that in my notes too, man. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. There's an owl that kind of, you know, that that you it's kind of representative of Jareth. um, That he's at the very beginning, and you know, and it kind of goes through. But that's the first one of the, I believe, the first cinematic use of, of. computer generated imagery in a, in like in a live action film. And it so, looks uh, like a billion times better than uh, like young Indiana Jones. 
which had like the <laughs> yeah. f- first like full CGI villain or whatever. Like yeah. it, it was like a full like motion interacting with people CGI thing. I think Young Franken or uh, Young Frankenstein. What the fuck? Uh, Young Indiana Jones from like 1991 or something was like the first yeah. film to do that. This, of course, was the first one to do the CG. It's just like over a black screen. Like it's not interacting with people. Uh, no. But it is, dude. This looks a billion times better. I yeah. think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, and you know something else that we haven't talked about yet. Um, we we should have talked about this um, maybe at the opening, but um, you know, you mentioned Jim Henson directed this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Executive producer George Lucas. He was in and, pictures and then in the documentary, yeah. I was like, George, what are you doing? Yeah. 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 And. Uh, the the writer of this film is Terry Jones from Monty Python. Yes. So I noticed that because I saw him on there, and I was like, "That name uh-huh. sounds familiar." And as soon as he started talking, I'm like, "Oh, Monty Python." <laughs> yeah. So so that I mean that's some that's some fun kind of almost an eclectic group of of talent to come together to make something you know this kind of kind of off the wall and imaginative. Yeah, it, um, it, it reminds me a lot of what Terry Gilliam was doing at the time. This is very much the Henson version, but when you have stuff like Time Bandits and um, the adventures of Baron Munchausen and things like that, which we should definitely, we should just do a Gilliam marathon sometime of this era of stuff, because he had such imaginative, creative, like interesting fantasy stuff, and no one else is really doing that. Like, Rob Reiner did Princess Bride, which I wouldn't call hard fantasy, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's fantasy, though, you know? And then, um, you know, you have this, which I, to an extent, would say hard fantasy in terms of the- in theory, um, but yeah. it doesn't so much feel that way. Like, it feels a lot more lighthearted and, mm-hmm. and uh, what it is, but, like, it's closer. Dark Crystal, of course, feels really mm-hmm. uh, hard fantasy. But, yeah, G- Gilliam comes to mind at times, too, because yeah. at the time, this is the kind of shit that he did, minus all the Muppets, of course, but in terms of the special effects... Uh, I could see him doing something weird with hands. You know what I mean? Like all, all of that stuff is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, uh, and I, you know, I, I almost think now um, it'd be fun to talk about these other characters because that's where I was going to go. Again, yeah. Again, another thing that um, that that Alicia mentioned while we were talking was, you know, we she she kind of brought it up to me was that Sarah's arc. Sarah has her arc, but. You know, she she even said, "How much does she really change during this movie?" She she immediately regrets her choice, and then spends the rest of the movie trying to f- correct it. Right. So, her journey, you know, spiritually speaking, isn't necessarily all that powerful. She's more, you know, she's she's reckoning with certain things in her life. But um, I I really enjoy if you know talking about those journeys I think Hoggle kind of has the main one yeah as dude you know he's the cowardly selfish character and you know he even says you know toward the beginning one of his one of his lines is you know Hoggle loves Hoggle you know and it's you know it's like he he's out for himself and he doesn't care you know and he's actually and and Jareth actually comes and threatens him and tells him to mislead her and you know to keep her from you know getting to the center of the labyrinth he's he's telling her you know get her back to the beginning, you know, frustrate her and, you know, lie to her. And he, and he kind of does. And then, and, and there's even, there's even, man, it's such a great scene where, where he does, he, he gives her this poison peach, right. That this drugged, this drugged peach that she eats. And once she takes a bite, like you can see the, the conflict he's having and he's really angry. And he, and he turns around and he says, damn you, Jareth, 
and damn me too. And he just yeah. walks, you know, and he, it's so it's, it's great. It's really a powerful moment, you know, and it, it's really just, it shows you how, just how great a, a character like that could be. Regardless of my favorite character. Uh-huh. He's hoggles the dude. I mean, yeah. hoggles like yeah. the person that matters in this movie, in my opinion, because yeah. whenever, when you're looking at, you know, they did this a lot around this time with with movies like this that had kid protagonists basically or like teenage protagonists that were doing yeah. something really serious never ending story for example you know you sure. have bastion mm-hmm. he's reading a book about this character atreyu and he's like reading him going through this whole thing he's reading it in the attic of the school cuz he like escapes basically he escapes yeah. class and gets <laughs> in there so bastion you know is doing that bastion has no real arc like he doesn't right. really change. He's literally the representation of the targeted demographic, essentially. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and same same thing. It's the reason. You know, the first person that was approached apparently was Sting, the yeah. the musician Sting, not David yeah. Bowie. But both right. of them, if you think about it, both David Bowie and Sting would, to some extent, with overlap, mm-hmm. at least a Venn diagram overlap, Absolutely. of a similar. A group of people that would be appealed to by yeah. this edition, right? Uh, both of them doing movie. I mean, of course, you know, uh, Sting, of course, is in Dune, <laughs> right? Uh, and he, you know, he did a few things, and of course, uh, Bowie had had uh, a few under his belt as well. And so, it's one thing you would learn whenever you're looking at um, at uh, advertising or any kind of messaging. I'll just say that any kind of messaging. Uh, you can always tell who the target audience is because usually, not always, but usually, you will find that demographic in the film represented in some way. So in my mind, this movie was clearly targeted at like teenagers or or preteens that could still relate to Sarah and people who were interested in David Bowie or or right. Sting or like people that were like hip in the music, right? Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really, I'm not surprised, I guess is what I'm getting at. I'm sorry. I, I'm not surprised that she's not developed really yeah. at all. Cause her whole purpose is to be the representative of the viewer and to yeah. like move through this world. However, in the movie, she is treated like more than that. And unfortunately yeah. the bulk of the story or at least character journey is really controlled and told by Hoggle. Yeah. So um, all of this to say, I would criticize this part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm with you on this, but sure. that was just some background to give context on why I feel that way. But continue, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and I I mean I would even agree with that that you know it, I, I, if they remade this today, um, first of all it would all be CGI. It would, there would be you know very little puppetry, you know practical pr- puppetry I would imagine, and yeah and and Sarah would be a would have a better a little better journey than she had here. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, I, th- I think that's partly a sign of the times, you know, the way they made movies back then. Yeah. Um, a man, but imagine how feminist it could have been, you know, if they, if they had given her that, you know, given her that more and, and, and it is, it is kind of a, a strange, you know, kind of a strange development that toward the end of the movie, it, it veers off in that quasi like broken romance kind of toxic romance kind of you know kind of area 
because because David Bowie starts suddenly starts talking about how he's done everything for her and he would move mountains and he would you know and it's just it's just bizarre and it's like he's in love with her suddenly and it's like that's a strange thing to look at to watch the two of them together given that like he 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 could be her dad literally yeah. her dad and, and I mean I and, think and I think the intention behind it is that she is the thing that stands in his way from having complete control right yes uh-huh. And I understand that, which is why he would say all of those things. But man, does it not feel like kind of a double entendre, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I feel like this is also something creepily romantic. Yeah. We could also yeah. be projecting David yeah. Bowie's history on him, but like, yeah, <laughs> right. it is weird. I agree. Well, he he actually says to her, you know, something like, "If you had only all I ask is that you do everything I ask, and I would be your slave." Yeah, and I'm just like, wow, that's that's weird <laughs> yeah but you know but but it, it kind of gives you know it in a weird way it gives a you know it, it's kind of part of just the strange vibe of this movie overall you know i think that it's 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 clearly masked you know it's clearly meant to be masked i mean obviously they're not they're not kissing or making out or anything you know he's not literally trying to make her his bride or something like that but um but there's just enough there for you to go hold on now this is kind of problematic, um, but yeah, but it, you know, it, again, it's, it's something that you just kind of look at and kind of cock an eyebrow and then you go, oh, I, I don't know what's happening here. Let, yeah. Let's get back to that, to that Escher scene, <laughs> you know, where they're, yeah. where, you know, running through the impossible room, you know, up the stairs and, and then, you know, suddenly she's going downstairs again and then she's on the other side of the room and now, you know, um, but, which is another just cool, you know, a cool visual, you know, kind of towards yeah. the end. I mean, you know, I, first first off, I want to say something about how if this movie was remade today, it would all be CG. Where where are the Peter Jacksons of the world today, including Peter Jackson, where he mm-hmm. comes in whenever special effects and all that stuff are really starting to kick in heavy around the turn of the millennium, and yeah. he makes Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's yeah. CG in it, but it's like he used like paintings and like a whole collage of different things of practical yeah. mixed with CG when he had to. And he uses it right, like the mouth of Sauron. Clearly, yeah. there's some weird effects going on, but it looks believable shit. And the same yeah. thing with like you know, all, like all of the orcs are are humans with makeup yeah. on in in the scenes, not whenever it's like hordes yeah. of them, you know. But man, right. like I just feel like if someone could come around and convince someone, you know, like like just put this much money, I'm going to get this done, and they could yeah. back it up in some way. Maybe if Spielberg. Yeah produced it and gave it to Jackson or whoever. I just, I want to see a new puppet led labyrinth. I'm not yeah. one to just be like, yeah, like remakes, but dude, yeah. I would. And, and not because I don't think this one's worthy of just being its own. I just want to see a modern day Muppet like, like yeah. this though, like a fucking creative, weird Muppet mm-hmm. thing. And then the dude that plays uh, the fawn, and and yeah. um like in all yeah, of those yeah. Guillermo del Toro movies, but he plays yeah, like the yeah. fawn and the hands guy. That guy's yeah. got to be in it somewhere, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indianapolis is Doug Jones. Yeah. Yep. Ball mm-hmm. States. Doug yeah, Jones. Ball all State. right. No. Um. But anyway, so I just wanted to comment on that. I I, I think sure. I think that would be great. Um. But yeah, the the uh, you were talking about the Escher scene a little bit. Um. Yeah. And that scene is pretty. Like I I, I look at it and I'm just like man. I understand that this probably isn't nearly as complex as it looks. 
Like clearly right. this is just shot in different ways and it's edited together in a very strategic way and sure. it looks good, but it actually is like surprisingly believable because a lot of yeah. times in, in that era, whenever you see it, a lot of times it's actually spliced images turned around and stuff. And you can actually, if you look really closely, usually in HD, which they would have gotten away with in the eighties and theaters and even on DVD and VHS, when you get yeah. to Blu-ray and like have HD, a lot of times you can kind of see like, some of the inconsistencies where the films are spliced together. This looks yeah. fucking great, dude. Like yeah. really good. Yeah. And again, it goes back to me wondering like, was this remastered the version uh-huh. I watched? Cause I'm telling you the fire East thing looks like mm. I would have noticed it. It was standout terrible when I watched it the first yeah. time. And I don't know why, mm. um, but I was impressed with the Escher thing. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. 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 We, we watched an older version of the DVD and it will, yeah. And the, the fireys had that, like, like you said, that, that weird disconnected look, you know, the, yeah. the scenes, the scenes around them, which we should at least mention them too. the, that they, you know, they're, they're kind of this bizarre, almost scary thing because they, these characters, you know, pull their own heads off and then they try to pull Sarah's head off also, you know, and there's, there's this group of them and they're chasing her trying to pop her head off. And, you know, it's like, that's kind of, you know, if you're thinking like, you know, a six-year-old girl watching, like, that could possibly be, you know, scary, kind of, kind of a scary little bit, but, For sure. um, and it's, yeah, and it's this weird, it's that weird kind of dark, darkly humorous thing too, right? Because they're like, let's pull her head off. And, you know, and it's like, uh, no, my head doesn't, no, we're going to find out. Let's see what happens. And, you know, it, it could have gone really bad for Sarah, but, um. Yeah, that's again. It's just another one of those things. We haven't mentioned the bog of eternal stench. You know, it's like there's just all just all these things that are just really cool and memorable and yeah. fun. Bog and, of eternal stench is great. It's where we, of course, meet Sir Didymus. And uh, actually, I don't think, I, yeah, we do. We meet Ambrosius there. Um, I want to talk about them since we're the bog of eternal yeah. stench is something I feel like you just need to see. It's great. It's a super yeah. stinky place. With all of these weird, like, geyser-like gas mounds in this, like, dirty swamp that make fart noises every time they exhaust, like, like, push out their gases. And my daughter's just cracking up with the fart noise. She just thinks it's the funniest (laughs) thing. It is really, we were both laughing pretty good. uh, They're basically just, like, glorified fart jokes. Really, really fun. But yeah. Sir Didymus, and the, back to, we were talking about characters, right? So we talked, we talked a little bit about Hoggle, um, and... I want to talk about Sir Didymus and uh, his canine steed, Ambrosius. Mm-hmm. These two have my favorite dynamic in the movie. Again, not my favorite characters per se, but in terms of any two characters related to one another, I can't think of a better duo. Uh, yeah. Because you have... Th- this is this is the Chihuahua trying to like you know fight the the doberman or something you know because yeah. <laughs> yeah. sir didymus is this really small i think a dog uh, it barks uh-huh. a lot and yeah. uh you know it has like this this little like spear or something which just looks like a wand of some sort because he's so small and he will fight anything this fearless endlessly brave yeah. will run head on into anything thinking he's a much bigger dog than he is right and then his canine steed, Ambrosius, is this big sheepdog that yeah. is terrified of everything, but big enough to do the things that Didymus <laughs> wants to do, right? So, wow. so there are times where Didymus is like ready to ride into battle, and he's like, forward, Ambrosius, and then Ambrosius just turns the other way and runs. I <laughs> love 
the uh-huh. comedic kind of gestures here between these yeah. two. Because, again, it's the small dog with the bravery of a big dog and the big dog with the cowardice we would associate maybe with the smaller uh, dog. I mean, just really spot on. How do you feel about Sir Didymus and Ambrosius? Yeah, I, 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 thought, he was, yeah, I thought he was hilarious. Yeah, he's, he's very, uh, very much like a Don Quixote-esque kind of character. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that doesn't realize you know, how, how unqualified he is to do what it is he's doing. Um, the, the dog, Ambrosius, by the way, um, is also Merlin, who is... Yes. Um, Sarah's dog at the beginning, um, obviously, you know, done, you know, purposefully, but, um, yeah, the, yeah, the, when we first meet Sir Didymus, he, he tries to fight Ludo, who is, you know, much larger than your average human, you know, who's like a a 10 foot monster. Yeah. 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 Matt. Yeah. He's, he's the, the giant monster with the heart of gold. So, but, um, but yeah, so there, yeah. So that, that kind of gives you right away an indication as to who Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus is um, that he's ready to fight, you know, this impossibly big monster who will would absolutely, you know, best him in a second if they were actually, you know, trying to kill each other. Well, you know, we actually do see them go after each other. Yeah. And he does not best him because yeah. Didymus is too quick for the old lovely giant. <laughs> yes, okay. Because uh, Ludo is not the smartest tool in the shed, Joe. I don't know if you picked true. up on this. Yeah. And what a lovable oaf. Just tying in, we can keep talking about Sir Dynamis and Ambrosius, but I also want to bring Ludo into it because he is my favorite character just in terms of like, if I had an opportunity to have a poster, right, I would yeah. have one of Ludo just because I love this big oaf in the same way that I love Groot and the same uh-huh. way that I love, you know, any kind of big, big doofus like this. Groot's actually not a doofus, but my point is, you know, just those yeah. kind of like big doofus monsters or whatever. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I just fall for him every time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just really love it. The the when we first meet Ludo too, like he he has he has this I don't know, this this pathos to him, I guess. Uh, where he's, you know, when when we first meet him, he's been captured by I don't even remember who it is, these these like soldier things with these giant helmets. Yeah. And they have these weapons that are essentially a weird little monster on a stick. Yeah. Like there's little these little monsters with sharp teeth that are holding onto a stick and they keep like whipping him with this and then the monsters bite him right when they when they hit him <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the monsters are really like they're really little creepy monsters right they're like almost slimy looking and, yeah they're gross yeah and really pink and, and fleshy <laughs> yeah <laughs> right and and you know and and they just keep biting him and it's just they're just torturing the poor guy and, and of course, Sarah saves him. And then, you know, he kind of does, it's kind of a, a life bond kind of thing. You know, I'll be, you know, I'm going to be loyal to you, but Ludo, yeah, Ludo is, is that the group comparison is very apt because it, yeah, he's, he's very monosyllabic. He only says a couple of different words, yeah. uh, largely his name. Um, and, but he's, you know, he, like you said, he's, you know, socially and, you know, developmentally, you know, he's not where everyone else is at, but, um, but he's, he, you know, he has the heart of gold. He's, he's very loyal and loving and, and, um, ha- you know, he's very loyal to his friends. So, um, and of course that comes into play later on when he has to actually assert himself and, you know, and he's also very timid himself, you know, although his exterior is a monster, he's very timid, yeah. which is why he keeps getting, you know, in, you know, beaten by, by smaller beings. So, uh, yeah. And then, but when he has to, he does, you know, he, he of course rises to the occasion and, and, 
it has his moment. And so. everything you just said ties back into Wizard of Oz, right? Each of these characters yeah. has to, in one way or another, prove themselves, much like in Wizard yeah. of Oz, you have the heart. You know, mm-hmm. he needs bravery. He needs, you know, wits and, and so on. Like, they each are looking for the thing, right? Right. And yeah. uh, in this one, they all, instead of looking for a thing, they have to confront that thing and beat yeah. it, each of these characters. And, yeah, I, I really love it. Um, yeah, is there, Ludo is, has some of the scenes that I think made me laugh the most, actually. Yeah. Even though uh-huh. I don't think his scenes are the most laugh-out-loud funny, but his humor <laughs> in it is easy to overlook, and they never stop to give you a chance to laugh. It's always background humor and then everything's moving around it. And that's always been my favorite. It's another reason why I love Woody Allen, because, you know, yeah. like in his movies, like we talked last or a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. with Annie Hall, a lot of the jokes are just passed over. So if you catch yeah. them, you'll start cracking up. But there's no break for laughter. There's no, you know, moment to give you a chance to kind of process what happens. He's just going full right. steam. Ludo has mm-hmm. a few of these moments in uh, what's the stinky place again? I already forgot. The, the Bog of Eternal Stench. The Bog of Eternal Stench. Ludo's moving through. They find Ludo in there. Um, not the first time, but they, they find him again once they've they've uh, lost touch with him. And, and yeah. Ludo's in there. And he just... His voice is hilarious first because you would think he would have just this hugely boisterous, like deep... If you've ever seen my neighbor Totoro, I just imagine him sounding like Totoro. And um, <clears throat> instead, like whenever the knights are like attacking him with the monsters on a stick, he's just yeah. like... Oh, you know, and, and like that's what his voice sounds like, and I think that's like so funny. But whenever yeah. they're in the the bog of eternal stench, he just keeps going, "Oh, smell bad," and I laughed so hard because he won't stop, even when he's fighting Didymus. He's just yes. like smelly, and I think he's so funny, Joe. Yeah, just uh-huh. so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, it, and this is a place that maybe they missed out. And I don't know, maybe there was things, but you know, I I want a a big stuffed Ludo, like a big stuffed Ludo doll. You yeah, know? like like you know, you know, that that might exist somewhere. I know there's you can buy a Jareth action figure. I believe like at Walmart right now. That's funny. Um, yeah, but I want a Ludo. Yeah, I want to find a big old stuffed Ludo somewhere, and you know, a Hoggle, of course. Just, you know, just to have that kind of stuff. They're great. There's also, yeah. I, I, while we were watching it, I bought the miniature board game for the movie. Mm-hmm. It's called Labyrinth, the miniature oh. board game, I believe. Oh. And it comes with miniatures. I'm a D&D guy, so I love having miniatures, but I've also heard this game's really great. So while, while I was watching, I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to buy this game. Like, we're going to play this game. I'm going to paint these miniatures. And I'm proud to say that I'm going to have a little Hoggle miniature, and I'm going to have a little... Uh, Ludo miniature and all, all the main characters, including Bowie, and I get to paint them. I'll show them to you when I'm done. My point yeah, is, yeah. If, if anybody wants to play a really cool game based on the theme of Labyrinth, uh, it's an, it's a pretty expensive game. I mean, it's like sixty yeah. bucks or something, you know. Uh, but it's a board game, and and every time you play it, of course, it only has a limited amount of stories. But this is a random plug for something we have no invested interest in. So. <laughs> We have no vested I mean, unless they want to throw some cash at it. Yeah, unless you, yeah, yeah, board game makers. I mean, by all means, you know, we're pitching this yeah. for you. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, the every time you play, it's a different story because it's it the way that the storytelling is, 
you know, different yeah. scenarios. So you can like play it over and over and over and always get a different experience. Apparently, of course, there's a limited amount of them, I'm sure, but it's a combination of different things and it leads to different endings and stuff. seems really cool. Just a random pitch. There you go. If you're into like tabletop board games and stuff, uh, check this one out. Okay. Anyways, Joe, can I read you something really quickly? Sure. Um, you know, there, cause we were, we were talking about some of the lines and some of the, the kind of touching moments um, in the film, and each person has to overcome something. I, I love whenever you have the big robo mech uh, knight, you know, and yes. and uh, Hoggle comes in for the big save, and he just like pulls the head off, and it's just like this little guy in like a robo machine, you know. I yes. love all those details, by the way, and and every character has them, but I think the heart of the film hits me with this line that Sarah says at the end. She says, "I don't know why." But every now and again in my life, for no reason at all, I need you. She says it to these characters that she's become friends with in this fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. Once she's been safely home and all of these things. Oh, yes, yeah, spoiler. But anyways, <laughs> if you haven't seen way. this in 35 years, fuck you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just go watch it. You've had your chance. I mean, yeah, you've on. had your chance. It's 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 pretty fun. Um, but anyways, it's... Uh, man, do you, do you have any, like... Are there, you talked about it being quotable, and that's kind of what I'm tying into here. And this isn't yeah. so much one of the quotable lines, but this is the most memorable line to me. Now, I had to read it because I haven't memorized it. But when she said it in the movie, I found it, it was the first moment in the movie where I sincerely felt touched. Now, the scene where Hoggle gives her the peach that you brought up, that, that's yeah. like, that's an impactful moment for me. I don't so much feel touched or moved sure. as much as like, oh, man. Like that's that's a real moment, you know what I mean? Yeah. But this yeah. one actually touches me. What are some quotable moments or moments that actually kind of transcended the rest of the movie where you're like, wow, there's something either profound about that or like that touched me in some way. Or just again, funny quotable lines is fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um well the um you know, there's one, there's a moment between Jareth and Sarah where, you know, and, and Sarah's thing, you know, again being you know, the kind of the impulsive young girl that she is, she loves to exclaim, that's not fair, yeah. you know, as she's going, you know, going across. And, and Jared says to her, you say that so much. I wonder your basis of comparison. Yeah. I just, I thought that was such a fun, that's just like a fun thing. I could just wait for him to shoot back at her, you know, and, and that, that kind of, you know, that, that gets at that relationship, how, you know, he just sits and watches her and is just like, you silly little girl, you know, yep. you, you don't even, you have no knowledge of what the world really is. You know, um, the, the hoggle is hoggle's friend line, um, which I may have butchered earlier. Um, that's, that's one that, uh, you know, I, I always, I love just, they're, they're just these little, little tidbits here and there, these little character moments. And, um, th- and they're kind of sprinkled throughout, you know, um, throughout the movie. Um, and, and some of them are just, just the the delivery and the um, the inflection, even the voices that kind of make the memorable. We mentioned the the worm, which you know I can't begin to do it justice, you know. But it has three or four, you know, and that little kind of Cockney accent he has, and he's like, uh, there, "There's when he um, he he kind of gives Sarah this little bit of information about the labyrinth, which she's walking back and forth, and she's like, it just goes on forever, and he's like, well, no." You just you gotta walk the right direction. You gotta look and and you know change your perspective. And and she walks toward the wall to find out that there are kind of like corridors that were hidden from her where she can turn down. Sure. And sure. and as she turns, he goes, No, wait, 
don't go that way. And she's like, oh, well, thanks. And then she walks off and, and then, you know, and then he says to himself, it's like, if she'd gone that way, she'd have gone straight to that castle. Yeah. You know, and it's <laughs> yeah. just like, you know, yeah. like it's just a cute little moment. Again, you know, like my Dude. accent's terrible. No, he's, but, he's uh, great, though, because his introduction even is, hello. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah, right. did you just say hello? I watch everything with subtitles, as I said. So, you know, it just it's just A-L-L-O when he says it, yeah. right? And she's like, yeah. did you just say hello? And he's like, no. I said, I don't know, but gotta do, you know, and just like having that sort of like, you're already laughing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's so endearing because he's this cute little worm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it's, I mean? And he's that, and he's that ugly, cute little thing, you know, it's that yeah. ugly, cute, you know, and he's, you know, he's blue and he's, you know, he's got like whiskers or something. It could be on Sesame street, dude. It's so cute, yeah, but it still fits absolutely. in the world. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah, and and then he's inviting her inside for tea and you know dinner or something. Yeah, <laughs> so but, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just just, so just to I'm I'm gonna wrap up a few things on my end. Then I'm gonna give you a chance yeah. if there's anything else you want to say before we kind of close out on here, uh, by all means. But I just want to be known on Letterbox. I just I just pulled it open, scrolled down a little bit. There are two back to back reviews that all they say is the first one. Let's talk about David Bowie's crotch. <laughs> and the second <laughs> one says, David Bowie's bulge the movie. <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen this in a long time, and you don't understand when I brought up the whole point about the bulge. This is how noticeable it is that people are literally commenting continuously. And that's not the only one. Those are just two back to back ones. But like <laughs> you can just go down the list of these reviews and find people talking about his crotch. Why is yeah. that there? I just don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know why that needs uh, that needed to be there, but um, it is kind of a funny thing. Yeah, you almost you almost wonder if, if David Bowie himself wasn't like, I've got to have this giant cod piece on, or I'm not doing this movie. But it's also like, <laughs> did he just put it on and not tell anyone? And they're all just like, right. oh man, is that his dick? Or like, <laughs> like should we say something? Because if it's real, like man, we're gonna be in trouble. Like you know what I mean? Like it's some sort of like harassment thing or something. Yeah. And he's just being an asshole, and he just wears his huge piece. Yeah. I don't know, man. No. It's it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. Uh, I'll just say this, man. I, I, I uh, like I said, I hadn't seen it in about 15 years. When you said this movie, I was actually, you know, when you said Point Break for our first one, I was pretty surprised, Joe. Yeah. But uh -huh. I was like, I'm also not surprised because it's Joe, right? And then I watched right. it and I was like, oh, that was fun. Like this would be fun to talk about. Labyrinth surprised me more, and yeah. but, but not in the same way as like Point Break. Th this, this surprised me as in like I know this has a cult following but I just never expected us to talk about this for like kind of like our favorite film like this would be in kind of your pantheon of favorites when you think about it and I but I hadn't seen it in like 15 years when I watched it before all, I just could not get past a lot of that kind of like the fireys looked so bad yeah. I, I really couldn't enjoy the scene for what it was because at the time and you have to understand everybody I had only been into film for like two years or three years by the time I watched this the first time. So I didn't have the ability to kind of like look at things differently or from different uh, viewpoints or overlooking certain things because I understand aspects of it. At the time, it was just like, this looks stupid. Um, yeah. And, and dude, the amount of things I forgot about this movie is <laughs> wild. Yeah. And so I actually appreciate you choosing this because although this I wouldn't consider this one of my favorites, 
I think I still only gave it like a three and a half out of five, but that's good for me. That's like above average. I really enjoyed this experience and it gave me an opportunity to watch something with my daughter and she really loved it. So now, you know, we're going to have like a good time talking about this and making references to it. And I think I finally got her to the point where she'll watch Dark Crystal because I have actually never seen that from beginning to end and I've been wanting to watch it with her, but the Muppets freak her out too bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because they're, they're scary. Okay, yeah, and uh-huh. um, but I've wanted to see it from beginning to end, and I've just never taken the time on my own. And of course, uh-huh. you know, having a daughter, it's like, well, I'll just wait to watch it with her. And then we never had the opportunity. This opened that Pandora's box, man. I mm-hmm. think there's going to be a whole lot of other movies now that might be a little bit scary, but that she'll now be able to get through because she understands. Oh, mm-hmm. it's not that bad. So yeah. uh, overall, I had a great time with this, and and mm-hmm. I can't tell you enough. If you've never seen this before. Just for the pop culture references and the cult aspect of it, you got to watch Labyrinth. Well, I mean, and it was Jim Henson's last feature, which yeah. is just such a bummer because he was such a talent. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan. Joe, uh, how, how do you yeah. want to leave us off? Is there anything else you want to yeah. say? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He Well, first of all, with Jim Henson, man, he had so much left. I mean, he for all he gave the world, he had so much to give still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a shame that that he didn't, you know, that he wasn't around longer than he was, because um, he was a talented, talented person. And and his, I mean, you look at his legacy now, with you know, the Sesame Street is still a thing. Yep. That you know, that, I mean, how many generations have have benefited from that? The Muppets, you know, just I mean, just Sesame Street, excluding you know Kermit and Piggy and and Fozzie and Gonzo and all them, you know, how the the cultural touchstone that that is. And then you throw the Muppets on top of that, which, you know, has endured for, you know, almost what, 40, 50 years now. Yeah. Um, And then just stuff like this, you know, and you mentioned the Dark Crystal, that's all just good, good stuff. And, and, you know, some of it is timeless and some of it, I mean, like this is, you know, there's, it's a little bit dated here and there, but it's, you know, it's certainly something you can enjoy today. So, yeah. And and yeah. you and you have to watch it at the very least for those moments that do shine, like the hands, the little tunnel yeah. of hands, or like just being able to watch mm-hmm. like Hoggle's transformation, or or yeah. like get to know Ludo as the mm-hmm. the big lovable O for you know. I mean, dude, there are a million yeah. reasons to watch it. Just to back yeah. up your point, like you should yeah. just see it. Go ahead. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and well, and then the last thing I want to do, you know, I'm gonna throw out a little thing to my girl Alicia again for because she brought she told me that the other day you know when it was my turn she was like oh it's your turn to pick and by the way she does listen to the podcast and I'm, I'm pretty certain she's told me she's really excited to hear this so um uh she yeah she mentioned that to me a couple weeks ago and I was like huh I should, well, I should do that well just a quick shout out to her real quick yeah um <laughs> I just want to thank you for getting him to choose Labyrinth so that I could rewatch it and I just want to apologize on behalf of him for being so lame. I mean, like, so lame, dude. <laughs> um, continue. Well, and, and then, you know, and then so she facilitated this, you know, this little um, exchange with your daughter as well. So that's, you know, that, that's that's a that's a fun little kind of enriching moment. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. And, and, you know, that's, you know, why I like her so much. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and this is was a big it was it was a big it was a joy because she's a fan of huge like she was she was she pretty much recited the entire movie while we watched it last night. Hilarious. So you know the, including the songs, including the dialogue, 
So um, not to mention that she just kind of, you know, randomly will say things like hoggle, hoggle is hoggle's friend, you know, to me, <laughs> just in casual conversation, which is just tickles me to no end. So, um, so yeah. Um, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, man, go, yeah, go find it. It's just when, when you're just in the mood to watch something that's just, a, that's just good fun and it's just pure imagination and you know it is a little you know it's a little left of center go yeah man check this out because it's it is it is way worth watching yeah. uh, and watching experiencing on, on a couple of different levels yeah i also just just to close this out here i also just want to say jim henson also is responsible for fraggle rock so all my fraggle rock fans out there I grew up wow. loving that show. I just wanted that to be clear, Joe. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, I, I second that. Definitely go check this out. It's it's a fun movie, especially if you haven't. Also, if you have kids, you know, I, I <laughs> you know, I think I think they say "damn" like four times in this movie, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And my daughter's like, they say that word a lot. <laughs> like she just like yeah, said I, it really serious. It's like four yeah. times. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, I think this is perfectly perfectly fine for kids, uh, especially oh, yeah. especially if if they don't if they're afraid easy, uh, you know, maybe wait until eight to ten years old or something. Just I don't think anything's scary in it, but I'm also thirty six, so I don't think that's really right. like that yeah. fair. Like we watched the Descent. You know what I mean? Right. Like, come on. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah. my 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 daughter would be scarred for life uh, with that. Um, hopefully, yours isn't Joe. Oh, um, no. oh. Anyways, so <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. Go check this out. We're stalling here. Uh, thank you so much, Joe. Th- this was this was fun. Um, yeah. Next week, uh, we're gonna be doing one of my picks. Joe doesn't know what it is yet, and no. um, I believe the following week. Let me look at a calendar here just to make sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the following week, so this is this is out on the 4th, on the 11th, which is next week, I'm going to be, uh, I think I'm going to choose a South Korean film, Joe. Okay, all right. And it's called The Chaser. This okay. has been one of my favorites, it came out in like 2008, didn't hit the States until like 2010, I don't even know if they really ever had like a proper official release, I can't wait to do some more research about this. 2010 was the fir- the second year that I had watched a minimum of a certain amount of movies a year and was really trying to hit hard and understand like get like critic level on watching this many movies from this year and this yeah. was one of them that I just found on other people's like mid-year lists yeah. or something and I watched it and it really blew me away. We talked about it whenever I interviewed Bane because the vocalist for Bane uh Aaron Bedard is a huge like Asian cinema fan, but like South Korea, big fan. And he was like, dude, that movie is one of just the best. Uh, yeah. It For a while, I even want to say, I could be mistaken, when I do some more research for it, um, I'll, I'll confirm this, but I want to say that they were trying to get Scorsese to do a remake of it here, okay. uh, which would be really great because I think The Chaser is actually a very American-friendly version of a South Korean uh, serial killer thriller type thing uh, because the way that they build certain things reminds me a bit more of like a Western tone, uh, but it's yeah. still also very much South Korean. If you're not, this is to Joe and listeners. Uh, if you are not as well versed in South Korean cinema, there are little idiosyncrasies that almost bleed through by, because of their culture through most of the movies. And this still has a lot of them and it's great. Uh, you can find this. You can rent this on iTunes, uh, YouTube. It's actually pretty hard to find otherwise. So you might just have to 
to rent it, listeners. Uh, but I can't encourage you enough not only to check out Labyrinth while you can. Again, it's free on HBO Max. You can rent it on Prime and pretty much anywhere else. Uh, but definitely go check out The Chaser. It should be from 2008. If it says 2010, it's probably the same. South Korean. I don't have the director in front of me. I want to say it's Francis Na, but I could be wrong. I, I need to. I don't have that information in front of me right now. But The Chaser, Joe, that's what we're going to do. You and I will talk about it uh, off, off air here. And then on the 18th, I'm planning on having my friend who did the John Cassavetes Marathon... Uh, his name is Jake Bottelieri. He's going to come back on. We're going to talk about the Paul Schrader film, First Reformed. Did you see First Reformed, Joe? That uh, Ethan Hawke, right? Yes. Yes. yes I have I not seen it. it. I am yeah. looking very forward to seeing it because yeah, it actually came out in 2017 on May 18th. And that's oh, when the wow. episode will drop. And my yeah. buddy Jake had just seen it like a couple weeks ago. And he's like, dude, this is incredible. You have to see it. He's not the first person that told me yeah. that. A lot of my friends who I trust their opinion have gotten a hold of me after they've seen it, and most of them did not see it the year it came out. They've seen it since then. And I'll just right. get a random text. It's like, dude, first reformed. You have to see this. So it's been on my radar. I just haven't taken the time. We're going to take time to do that. It's going to be a great time. So that's what we have coming up. Everybody, uh, thank you for listening. Joe, you want to leave us off with a zinger, man? <laughs> <laughs> man, I was gonna say, yeah, I'll say it again. It'd be like, you know. I don't know. <laughs> See, so from now on, if I ever want Joe to not have a zinger, I'm just going to put you on the spot. Okay. Right. Hoggle is Hoggle's friend. I don't know. That's all I can. <laughs> all right, man. All right. I just wanted to go ahead and take a few moments to talk to my daughter and get her perspective, the kid's perspective on the movie that Joe and I just talked about, which is Jim Henson's Labyrinth from 1986. And we, we talked about it and how there's a, a huge nostalgic factor to it and how it's really fun, but you know how for some kids it might be a little scary. But Evie, I'm going to ask you, did you find Labyrinth scary at all? No. It was just like cute and not cute, but like... Not as scary as Dark Crystal. I've never seen Dark Crystal, but it's scary. But we talked about it before we watched, or while we were watching Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. Now that you can see that some things might look scary, but then they weren't in Labyrinth, were they? Nope. So maybe we can actually tackle Dark Crystal because I know they're like a little creepy, but it's by the same guy. The same. It's going to be something similar, hopefully. I already told the folks that I haven't seen it from beginning to end because I kind of wanted to watch it with you. And then it kind of freaked you out, so we just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> we should we should do that, though. We should watch it. Maybe we can talk about it on here after you see it, and you can tell us how, how you think. Maybe give other parents who are listening an opportunity to hear from a kid to see if their children would be able to do it. But we're, we're talking about Labyrinth here, so it wasn't very scary. What were some of your favorite parts, Evie? I mean, I don't remember the names, but what was that, like, big guy? Like, Ludo? Yeah, I like Ludo. He's like... He's like, he's, he's just nice and friendly and a monster. <laughs> um, I also like all the different, like, um, backgrounds and scenes and 
places they are, yeah, settings, the, the settings, set decorations, yeah. and settings. yeah, all the stages and stuff. Yeah, it's really, really cool, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What did you think? Joe and I geeked out about this. We really like this. <laughs> did you like whenever Sarah, the main character, is falling into a hole and there's all those hands reaching out? Yeah. And then they start making like multiple hands create essentially puppets. Do you remember that? Yeah. Was that awesome that, that or what? That was pretty cool. Like, I I don't know how to how they did that. Yeah, I mean, it was just real people and choreography. That was a lot of people. <laughs> it was a lot, wasn't it? Uh huh. I thought it was. I, I, I that still blows me away. That thing. I can't figure that one out. Because uh, that would. I feel like that would take so much time. So. T- tell me something else. What did you think about uh, Hoggle? Remember Hoggle, the the little dude, big nose, big ears, really cool guy. <laughs> um, I know. I think he is really cares about people because when she get he gave what's her name Sarah. Sarah, yeah, I should remember that when he gave Sarah that like peach. Oh yeah. He felt really bad about it, and then I just felt really bad. For him. <laughs> That's good. But, That's called empathy. Yes, uh. we've been talking about that in school. So. That's um, cute. I had empathy for him, and he was... I just think he was good for the whole entire movie he, he has fit in. Well, what Joe and I were talking about, and I don't know if you'll follow me fully, but uh, we were talking about how there's something called a character arc. So it's how... It, it, for all intents and purposes, it's how a character changes from beginning to end, right? And Sarah, the main character, she doesn't really change much. She learns a few things and moves on, right? But um, Hoggle starts off as the coward who is friends with uh, David Bowie's character, who I'm for some reason forgetting his name, <laughs> but the guy with the wild hair that wild had the orbs, hair. you know? And um, I like the orb thing. Yeah, like, like the crystals. The, the other person, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but... We, we already have. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, um, but yeah, uh, but Hoggle starts off that way. He's on kind of the bad side, so to speak, and he's he's a coward. But then by the end, you know, he's friends and he was loyal to her. And, and even after he had hurt her to some extent with the peach, you know, he ended up befriending her. Right? We, we thought that was really cool. We thought he was probably the most well-rounded character in there. But so you like Ludo. And you like uh, you liked Hoggle. You thought he was good. Um, that little how, puppy guy. That's what I was gonna well, say. Whatever yeah. his name. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you, how do you feel about little puppy guy <laughs> and his other puppy companion? <laughs> um. So we were talking about this. Um. So the big puppy that little puppy is riding on is like more of a coward. Oh yeah. So, so that's that's Ambrosius. That's the big sheep dog. The big yeah. one that's ridden. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Little Pup Guy. <laughs> yeah, Sir Didymus. Sir Didymus is like, oh, don't go that way. And like, just on, all on his own then. And he has such little feet, so it would be nice for him to have a dog so he can go faster. <laughs> and I feel bad for him. Yeah, he's just, he's he's one of those, he, he is, uh, he has a... Um, a bigger bark than his bite, as some people would say. He's like that real. He's too brave for his own good, right? He he wants to do things, and he could get hurt, but he's too brave. He's willing to just go fight fights that he can't win. Whereas Ambrosius, the big sheepdog, is too afraid to fight any fights, whether he could win or lose them. So he's always running away. 
So it's funny because you'd probably find a really safe person in the middle somewhere, right? Someone who's brave, but also might know when to kind of walk away. Uh, and I just, I love those two. They're really great. Um, yes, and they're really cute. Yeah, and very. Small. Yeah. How did you feel about oh, Sarah, the main, the main yeah. young lady? Um, I thought about the other characters more. Because they're monsters, and they're different, and I like them. <laughs> but, um, Sarah, let's see, um, he, she wanted her, Toby, was that her little brother's you, name? You nailed it. I, I Actually, I if you had it. asked me, I wouldn't <laughs> have known, because I forget things a lot, but you nailed it, Toby. Toby, um, she wanted, Sarah wanted Toby to get taken by the goblins. She didn't actually mean it or think it was going to actually happen when she said she wanted the goblins to take him. And then they did, and she she just felt really bad, and she just went on this whole journey to get one one little baby, her brother. And honestly, I wouldn't have done that because <laughs> I would have died, and I don't want to die. But she... It's fine with dying. <laughs> no, she she just honestly, if you think about it too, it was she didn't mean to. So when I say it was her fault that he was gone, it's not like she did it on purpose. Yeah. But it is because she said she wished, and the Goblin King took the baby, so she felt like it was her fault. And honestly, she was probably afraid that her parents would be mad at her. D- yes, which is something you can relate to, I'm sure. I mean, not that I get mad at you a lot. I don't think that's true, <laughs> but you know. Um, but yeah, so did, did you feel like you related to Sarah at all? Like that you could kind of connect with her? Or was she just kind of a character? Just a character. Okay, okay. And then the, the I have two more questions for you. Yeah. Um, so David Bowie plays Jareth. He's the guy with the wild hair. He's the guy with the, the crystals, you know, yeah. and he's kind of, he's the Goblin King. He's the one mm-hmm. that takes the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you feel about Jareth? He was really evil, and um, he has a good voice. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like uh, the songs? Yeah. They were, like, funny. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I like... I think it's funny how he acts around the goblins. Like, he's just, like, totally the boss. Yeah. And, like, all the other goblins are kind of scared of him. But I think that he was pretty cool and mean. <laughs> <laughs> but he was also strict. Yeah. Yeah. But tell me this, and because we'll go ahead and close up here with this, okay? Mm-hmm. Tell me, this is a two-part question. Okay. Tell the folks listening what you, how, how, just generally how you feel about the movie. Did you like it? You know, uh, is this something that you want to watch again? Is this something you want to show your friends? Like, there's that question. And then two, would you recommend that listeners, would you recommend it to people? Would you tell people to watch it? It's I kind of the rec- same question. but yeah. <laughs> I would recommend it um, to a lot of people. I would give it, uh, let's see, five out of five. Whoa! <laughs> 4.9. 4.9. That's an intense scale. It was just like really good. So maybe I will like Dark Crystal. Yeah, maybe you will. Yeah. Do you like Labyrinth more than any of the Shrek movies? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
there's more Shrek. For listeners to understand, we we I had my daughter on to talk about Shrek for some bonus content that mm-hmm. we did. So that's why I'm asking her this question. And Amanda. And Amanda, yes, and my Amanda. wife. <laughs> um, I like live action more than um animation. Animation, just because it seems more real. So I just like it a bit more, just a bit more. I like it a lot more. So I'm on your, I'm on your page. But you, you know? don't like the Shrek <laughs> You're right. movies. You gave them one star. Yeah, I gave. They're real. I think one and zero. a half. Yeah, they were real low. A three was all right though. I didn't mind three or four. One of the two, I think maybe it was four. I can't remember, but there was one of them that I thought was pretty decent. You just liked the one that we, me and Amanda hadn't watched. Wait, oh, oh, We hadn't yeah. watched the fourth one. No, no, no. We wa- Whatever one we watched, we all liked it the most, I think. Yeah, but it was our first time watching oh, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, um, you want to leave listeners off with anything? You want to tell them anything? Shout out to Byron and my family again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's a really good movie, and you should watch it and um, get it with money or not. <laughs> get it with money or not? All right. We, we encourage you to go check it out again on HBO Max for free, or you can rent it on Amazon Prime or any other place that you rent movies. Thank you for uh, giving us your thoughts, Evie. Thank you for inviting me. Wow, what an interesting movie to talk about. Uh, you know, I saw it 15 years ago, and as I kind of alluded to, and, and maybe talked about, I don't even remember, uh, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the movie the first time I saw it. Labyrinth was not a movie, I mean, I liked it, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm a big fan of that kind of practical effects and, and weird animatronic things, or Muppets, or, you know, weird things like that. I just think it's really cool. And Labyrinth was a lot more fun than I remember. And, you know, part of it could have been watching it for the first time with my daughter and her loving it. You know, another part of it could just be, you know, I've kind of learned more about film and there's more to appreciate there than I thought. But either way, definitely go check it out. As I've said multiple times, you can go check it out on HBO Max if you have that. Or you can rent it at pretty much anywhere you want to rent stuff. Uh, Amazon Prime iTunes, YouTube, I'm sure they all have Labyrinth. It's too big of a title uh, to ignore uh, for such things. So, anyways, as I mentioned with Joe, next week we're going to be talking about The Chaser. You have to find this movie. I know that you can rent it on iTunes and YouTube. Please go do so. It's a South Korean serial killer thriller. It is phenomenal. I really love it. Can't wait to talk about it. But we've already talked long enough. I hope you appreciated this episode. You know, we love you as always. And hey, good night, good luck, and take it easy.